Well, thank you again for joining the Grim and Bloody podcast. And happy Halloween. We are in the Halloween season and a couple weeks left until the uh, big day. Uh, but with COVID-19, uh, things are probably going to change a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of us are still looking forward uh, to going on and having a little bit of fun as best we can, um, you know, with safe distances and everything. Uh, tonight, we are honored to have Angela Mancuso on. And um, if you've heard of her name, she has been a part of a lot of productions. Uh, notably, uh, she helped get Battlestar Galactica, the reimagined series off the ground, including Monk, uh, which is a major crowd favorite. Uh, but since we're a, pod, a horror podcast, we're going to be focusing a little bit on the titles um, that we love to talk about. Um, happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you, as well as a little bit about Blumhouse Studios, because um, we're so high on the studio. They put out a lot of good work, and uh, we're excited to see um, what they have coming in store for us. So, uh, Angela, thank you very much for coming on. I'm happy to be here. And uh, as always, I have Al Omega guest hosting once again, uh, the host of Creature Features. Thanks again, Al, for joining us. Always happy to be here. And Joe Flynn, producer of Create TV. And host. You still awake, Joe? keep forgetting host <laughs> of my own show. You are a but host. You're a host good. of a host. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always great to be here, everyone. Yeah, we just love talking about horror. And um, just last week, as I was talking to Angela about, we had a uh, retrospective episode about Sinister and um, talking about what it takes to get a film like that with a budget. You know, that is probably when the, the one to $5 million range and how it can rake in so much and be so extremely popular. Uh, we all have our ideas as to what it takes uh, from fans on the outside. But tonight we're, uh, we're uh, privileged to have Angela on and she can uh, shed a little bit of light on what makes Blumhouse Studios um, I think the preeminent horror studio right now in Hollywood. Um, so maybe we can just start right there um, with your work on Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2. Um, as a producer, um, we're, this is our first time actually having someone from Hollywood come on and uh, talk a little bit about horror from the inside out. Most of the, uh, if not all the filmmakers that come on our show are indie filmmakers uh, looking to uh, spread the word and we're happy to give them a platform. Uh, but they're pretty much wearing every single hat on on set. You know, they're the producer, director, writer. Um, sometimes they have someone behind the camera. Sometimes it's themselves. Um, but for you, you get to produce. You get to you know focus on maybe one or a couple things. But um, would you like to shed some light on as a producer? What does it take to to get a film like Happy Death Day two or excuse me one and two uh, off the ground? Yes. Let me just first say that um, it took 10 years to get Happy Death Day made. 10 years, <laughs> wow. And yes, and I'll tell you the story. Scott Lobdell, who um, in the heyday before Happy Death Day had been working at Dimension Films and had, had, um, had written a lot for Dimension Films but not gotten any of his movies made. I was working with him on a television idea and one day we're talking, he said, hey, I have this idea for this movie. And I said, what is it? And he told me, and I said, oh, you know, that's a really fun idea. I really like that. Have you written anything? He said, no, but I can write an outline. I said, okay, great, write an outline. And a couple of days later, he called me and he said, hey, I wrote an outline, but I got so excited that I'm gonna just write the script. And I said, great. And I gave him some notes on some, you know, plots and- right." He went off and very, very quickly, he sent me the script for Happy Death Day, which at the time 
I think the first title was um, Half to Death, and then it became uh, Hell Week, and then it became Happy Death Day. It changed titles a bunch of times, but it was called Half to Death at first because she was always scared half to death. So Scott, you know, Scott gave me this, and um, I read it, and it was really fun. And to make a long story short, uh, we sold it to Universal, which had Rogue Pictures run by Andrew Rona, who had previously been at Dimension, who knew Scott's work. And we sold it literally in five minutes. So script was really quick. Sale was really quick. We're uh, talking about casting. We're talking about locations, blah, 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 directors. And in the middle of all of this, Rogue Pictures is folded by Universal. Oh, no. And so it sat there and it sat there and it sat there. And a couple times I tried, I thought, well, let me just make it for television. Let's do this, let's do that. And didn't push really that hard. Wasn't so thrilled about just making it to make it. And um, when we were at Universal, Christopher Landon, who you probably now know very well who he is, but at the time he had um, jumped in to help with a lot of the, a few of the Blumhouse movies as a rewriter, basically. Chris had done a rewrite on Scott's script. And it's very common in Hollywood that no matter who the writer is, they get rewritten by somebody else. Just happens all the time. So Chris came in to do a bit of a rewrite before we got put into Turnaround. And Chris and I became really good friends and I loved him. And I loved his sense of humor and I, I loved his campy take on horror. And um, so the movie got put in turnaround. Chris and I remained friends. We'd go out to lunch and talk about what do you want to do next and this and that. And then he made Scouts versus Zombies, which I love, but it didn't. Yeah, it was hilarious. I love it. Yeah, it didn't didn't do very well uh, uh, financially. And, you know, and then he was doing more and more for Blumhouse, helping them with this and helping them with that. And he was becoming more of a director. And I said to him, Christopher, you should direct this. And he kept saying, well, maybe, I don't know, let's see. And he'd get busy with another rewrite. And now eight, nine years go by and I'm driving in my car one day and um, Chris calls me and he says, Angela, do you really think I should direct um, now Happy Death Day at that point, After Death? And I said, yes, Chris, if you want to direct it, I will give it to you to direct. And he said, all right, I'm gonna call Jason Blum because they want me to direct something. I said, okay. So he calls me back and he says, they wanna do this. They read it and they wanna do it. I'm like, all right. So now I have to kind of finagle the legal, whatever, get Universal, who has their deal with Blumhouse anyway. So it wasn't that difficult, but get everybody on the same page and get everything lined up on the legal end and all of that. And then I go over to Blumhouse and I meet with them. And the next thing I knew, Happy Death Day is getting made. And um, after, you know, eight, nine years of sitting there, I get a green light from Blumhouse. Now I spent most of my career at Universal. So it was really interesting to make my first feature at Universal, it was it was really um, satisfying and um, 
and interesting for me that that happened. Um, but anyway, so you, so I, so I got on the Blumhouse uh, wagon, and they're a pretty close knit group of people. It's a small company. It's very lean, and I met Cooper Samuelson, who is the guy uh, for Blumhouse Features, and I immediately loved him. He's in, got incredibly good taste and incredibly sweet. And um, Ryan Turek, who's under him, who actually read the script first and was our day-to-day person on the project, they love what they do. And um, they were incredibly gracious partners. And everything came together um, in such a lovely way with them and with no drama and no Hollywood BS. Um yeah, so I love those guys. And it sat for eight to nine years. I still can't wrap my head around that. How does this Well, that's not unusual. Now, let me tell you, not to digress, that I've had the rights to Clive Barker's book, uh, Weave World, for longer than that and still haven't gotten made. And, <laughs> and I will get it made, but I still haven't. Sometimes that's what happens. You know, tastes change and environments change and you, you just have to wait for your moment when everything gels. True. And, and you know, it was Chris who became my friend, who became a director and his relationship with Blumhouse and my relationship with him, you know, it, it, it took all that time to happen right. No, I can, I can uh, sympathize. Uh, I mean, many of us, of course, know the movie Equinox, which, of course, had like a 10-year hiatus in the middle of recording of that. So uh, I understand the labyrinthine passages one might have to pass through to get uh, all the stars to align in order to get something produced, even if it's good. Well, you know, the other thing is, if you remember, not many years before we made Happy Death Day, the flavor of the month was Eli Roth and very brutal, you know, pornographically violent horror movies. And Happy Death Day is PG thirteen, and it it had to it had to be the moment for PG thirteen in horror to you know horror with humor, horror with actually very little blood, um, to make a comeback, you know, and. Um, I, I think in that age of, of, you know, all of that really horrible, uh, slasher, you know, violent horror, this would never have made it. Our movie harkened back to Scream. And yeah, it, true. And it took that long. You know, it's like anything, you know, fashion is fashion. You know, it happens in clothing, it happens in movies you know, things go in a cyclical way and Happy Death Day hit its stride at the right moment and it got in the right hands at the right moment. Very true. And it also, and to me, Happy Death Day kind of reminds me, you know, if Groundhog's Day would have exactly. been a horror film. You know, and, and I love that Very about much. the film. And Groundhog's Day was a, uh, it's a beloved film. So if you're going to use that as an inspiration, you got to make sure that what you're doing is right. Like, it's okay, I think, to be inspired by it, but you definitely don't want to kind of take the beats from a movie that well-known. And um, yeah, happy Well, that's day. why we paid homage to it in, yeah. in our yeah. movie. Yeah. 
And we actually had a lot of legal discussions about what we could do and what we could not do because of Groundhog's Day. Um, and uh, uh, we, we, you know, Chris was very careful to pay homage to that great movie, which, you know, was so much fun and broke so many rules. Oh, yes. Now, I had a question um, about, I don't want to get too in-depth, but um, what is it, why has Blumhouse Studios um, been so successful? It, it seems like everything they touch is gold in, in, in the horror. Well, genre. everything they touch is not gold, but the truth Almost. is okay. that the people that they love, that, that work there, love the genre. Yeah. And they really love the genre and they know what their boundaries are um, for their audience. And, you know, this is what they love. They're not an adjunct of a bigger company that's doing all kinds of different entertainment. This is what they love. And they're all scholarly on what's been done and who's doing what. Um, And they also really trust filmmakers. Like, you know, once we brought on Chris, it was really Chris's movie. And they're very good about letting filmmakers make their own vision and make their own movie. I think it's amazing. You can't get in a big studio environment. Right. No, no. I can try to get that in a small studio environment sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to get it at a television studio. That too. And that's the thing that I like about Blumhouse is that they'll let the directors go with their stories or their vision of the film yes. without going like oh no that you can't do that you can't do this you know they do as long as they stay on budget yes they're very serious about their budgets I had a um, uh, he's now a very successful head of a of a, another little studio, not a horror studio. When I met him, he was a budding producer, a comedy producer, and I'm not gonna say who it is, but he once said to me that um, money is the enemy of comedy. And I think to an extent, money is the enemy of horror as well, because to make really good horror, it has to be concept driven and it has to be director driven. And it, it can't it can't be special effects driven, and it can't be um, giant budget. You don't need giant stars. You don't need giant visual effects, special effects. You need um, you know you need you just need a filmmaker. And you know it, when you have to live within a budget, it in any genre, but especially in in these genres you know, it forces you to be creative. It forces you to really think about everything you're putting on the screen. I was going to uh, circle back a bit, and, and you, you kind of covered it there a bit, uh, that, you know, they made a lot of super gory movies at one point that were really special effects driven, and special effects are okay, but uh, as we have talked on this show before, we, we see that there is a resurgence in the practical effect. Yes. Uh, which may be less expensive to come up with and there's just something uh, much more visceral about that and even beyond that uh, oh gosh i remember back in the 80s watching something or other and uh guys incapacitated in an elevator and his door's leg is sticking out the door and the elevator goes up and cuts off his leg and it's probably no money for 
an effect or something or couldn't show anything on TV. So you get all of this by looking at his face. Uh, what's really? This is face? To the <laughs> yeah, the uh, guy's getting his leg cut off by the elevator. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. And that actually takes real acting, and that's what we go with. Uh, you've got to have... Yeah. You don't have to have the named actor, but you have to have the actor who can actually act and take the direction from the director, and the director's got to have a clear vision of what he wants to come out of the scene. And you don't really need that much special effects uh, if you've got all of those things in, in place. And we really like to see movies that actually have plots in them. Because <laughs> so many don't. Seems like a time-honored tradition, watching a movie with a plot that you can follow and enjoy. <laughs> As I talk about on my show, showing something like, you know, an old science fiction movie. It's always about, okay, the monster is here. How did it get here? What does it want? Uh, what are its weaknesses? How are we going to defeat it or give it what it wants and so forth? Now the movies seem to be, oh, it's here and we have to fight it and kill it and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> it's not much of a plot. No, you're, you're totally right. And that all comes back to filmmakers. Well, there are the people that are, are going to spit the stuff out and it's going to go to the drive-in as it were back in the day and make its money ish and then there are the people that are going to make something that really want something to uh stick around and, and be watched 10 years from now and, and laughed at i saw a meme today about how uh, horror movies are great because they age well uh bad ones become funny funny ones become great and the really good ones become uh, exalted as a as time goes by did you realize how much work they did on these things Mm -hmm. True. I agree with that. So, Angel, I had a question. Um, circling a little bit back to Happy Death Day, um, because it's been it was so recent. Um, when you you finally got off to the ground, it was released in theaters, and it was a major success uh, based on how much it it cost to make versus how much it made. Um, what were your feelings about that? Like, you can finally see your baby on screen, and talk about a little bit about the um, the next steps, which uh, spawned the sequel. Well, I remember, um, I always say, you're not making a movie until you're sitting on the set. And I remember Chris and I, after the first take, um, sitting on the set in New Orleans and just hugging. And the first scene that we shot was actually the scene where um, Jessica is meeting her dad, if you remember, mm -hmm. and their, you know, tree is... Um, crying and saying, you know, I love you and I miss mom and yada, yada. And that was the first scene we had to shoot. Poor Jessica <laughs> having to have this emotional, dramatic scene. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking like, wow, I didn't ever think I'd be sitting in New Orleans and crying on the set <laughs> because Jessica <laughs> was really crying. And, and I like, I didn't see this movie that way. You know, it was crazy, you know, it was just a little crazy to actually be sitting there and the first take is like this horrible, emotional, you know, crying could be terms of endearment kind of right, scene. Right. Um, and then, you know, as I saw the film come together, um, you know, it was just pure joy. And Jessica and Israel, like I, I, I love her so much and I love Israel so much. And it was, it was pure joy watching Chris bring the whole thing to life. And, um, you know, every day was just lovely and fantastic and happy. And then um, going to the first screenings that you do for, uh, for, uh, 
audiences, you right. know, to, to that had to be overwhelming. Um, and getting this unbelievably positive feedback and having uh, Cooper Sanderson at Blumhouse go, wow, and having the executives from Universal sitting there go like, wow. And, every, and we had two or three test screenings and every one, the scores got higher and higher and Universal started to really believe they had something. And then they changed the title to Happy Death Day and Chris and Jessica and I were like, no, that's the worst title in the world. We were so depressed <laughs> no. that we were. And, um, and then coming around to it and seeing the marketing campaign and seeing the cake and the knife and going, okay, you guys could be right here. This is great. <laughs> and then going to that opening night premiere screening. And you know, I worked at Universal for many, many years. I was president of the cable group there yeah. um, for quite a while. And before the screening, I called Ron Meyer, who'd always been like just a great boss and a great friend. And I said, Ron, do you know that I produced this movie? And he said, I did not. You know, it was kind of below his radar. And I said, well, yeah, you know, and so there's this premiere. And he said, great, I'm coming. And I said, listen, all I want is a picture of me and you. And I went to the premiere and I stood on the red carpet with Jeff Shell and Ron Meyer and, and Jason and, and Chris. And I, I took this picture and I thought, you know, it's like coming home because Universal was my studio. It's where I kind of grew up. And I, I, you know, we made this movie and we had the premiere and then we all held our breath. And when we saw the numbers start coming in that weekend, we all kind of went, holy shit. And, <laughs> you know, like the movie made $125 million. It cost yeah. five and a half. And I don't know if that'll ever happen to me again, but you know, I think we were just proud of ourselves and proud of each other and um and you should be and and you know it wasn't so much because of the money it was because it was recognized and because the work paid off and because we had a great collaboration all of us and we had a great time making the movie it was really not a stressful thing except maybe for chris on certain days because he's the director but you know it was a it was a thing of joy and it was fun and to see it be so successful was just I, it was happy. It was, I, I can't explain it as anything but, you know, a happy thing, like a wedding. It was a happy thing. <laughs> I mean, when you look up Blumhouse Studios, this is one of the first lines that says, Blumhouse Studios is known for making Happy Death Day. You're right there. Your work is now, you know, it's synonymous with people who can, who are familiarizing themselves with Blumhouse Studios. That's gonna be amazing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fun. And, you know, the best thing about it is just, you know, not to take anything away from the movie, but the relationships and the people and, like, Jessica is so fantastic and Israel is so fantastic and, um, and Chris is, you know, my good friend forever. And, you know, the guys at Blumhouse, you know, Ryan and Cooper um, and Jason, they're so supportive and... Um, you know, it was, it, it, it's rare that you hear people say it was such a great experience because mostly making movies is very painful. It's difficult. You're always tired. It's a lot of work. And, you know, everyone doesn't always get along. It's, it's a very difficult um, making a movie. 
It's so many, you know, it's so many people who don't know each other and have they have to come together in this in 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 an agreement and in a camaraderie. You know, it's not easy to wrangle that many people and have them all on the same page. And it was just a great experience. It was fun, and I think that showed up in the work. And I think that's who Chris is, and I think that's why it turned out so well. Yeah, I have. Uh, we had Dee Wallace on a couple months ago, and we were talking about her experience on Cujo, and that's one of my most favorite movies. It frightened the shit out of me as a child. Yeah, um, me too. I, I didn't like dogs for, for a very long time after watching that movie, um, but her, her performance in it was incredible. And we talked about it, and when she was retelling um, how you know what she went through on set, um, how her she blew her adrenals how you know the conditions were so intolerable and, the, and they still had the balance um you know a, a guy in a in a dog suit and and the real dogs and it it made me feel like geez that sounds terrible it sounds like a, a nightmare set right but when you watch the movie you can't get it, it you can feel the atmosphere uh, but you just don't know what the actors and filmmakers are going through until they actually tell you because some of this probably will it'll never make the behind the scenes right on the blu-ray uh, these are all the things that you know if they want to share it, they will share it um but yeah they get they gave me a, a much better appreciation for the, the work they put on that movie so uh, I'm, I'm always um interested in, to hear about you know the inner workings of the set how it was was it positive was it negative um sometimes that can have an effect on on the finished product um but yeah with happy death day uh my opinion, it takes a lot to balance a horror comedy, um, to have just the right amount of scares, just the right amount of lighthearted humor um, that you can get both and you feel great at the end. Um, and there's only been what, Alan Joe, a handful of really good horror comedy movies like, you know, Beetlejuice yeah. is another one. My um, favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we can name them probably just on one and a half hands how many great ones um, there are and others that either had too much of one or not enough of the other. Uh, but Happy Death Day is definitely one of the ones that I think nailed both of them. Chris oh. is kind of a master at that. And I actually think the movie he has that's just now coming out, Freaky, will probably do the same thing. I mean, Chris is sure. a master because it's who he is as a person. You know, he he's funny and he likes horror. And so that's what shows up on the screen. Uh, by the way, I I did read something earlier, I think, today from your lead actress from Happy Death Day, talking about Happy Death Day 3 and some title. So what? I'm just curious. It's not going to happen. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious. We're going to shoot down here. <laughs> you know, hey, we heard first from one of the producers. So Joe, there you go, stirring stuff producer. up again, Joe. I think you know. I think she. I think she would love it because she and Chris have a really close bond, and we would all love it. But I don't think it's in the cards. Well, yeah, and that's the thing that you know. Sometimes people will say, "Hey, we're going to do you know part three of whatever movie," and you're just going like, "Really?" You know, the, you know. I'm not knocking any film, but there are some films you just go like. Uh, a friend of mine used to say, there are so many unanswered questions from all these, like, the Friday the 13th, for example. Yeah. We'll use that, and it's like, oh, they're making part 19. 
sometimes you just run out of story. As you mentioned, Angela, as many excellent titles as Blown Out put it, there were some that were kind of less than stellar. I think Paranormal Activity um, was an absolute lightning in the bottle, right? From what yes. they started with to what it made it was insane. Um, but towards the end, I think the last one I watched was the Mark ones. And after that one, I said, you know what? I, I've been with you guys since the beginning. Uh, we're, we're out of steam here. <laughs> it's, time to, it's time to start another series. Uh, but yeah, I, I think at some point you, you got to just say, yeah, we had our fun. We brought the story as far as it can go. Let's just try something else. I mean, especially if it came from a, a group of skilled filmmakers, why not try tackle something new? I mean, you don't have to beat a dead horse until it's, you know, just bloody pulp. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of like after the second sequel, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what, unless you guys just have an absolute, you know, stellar finale to make it a trilogy, uh, let's just kind of move on. I tend to agree. Uh, thank you. Uh, by the way, I do have a fun question for you. Totally off the subject, so be prepared. Uh, no. Uh-oh. As, as a kid, <laughs> what was your favorite Halloween candy? Because we are in October. <laughs> oh, Joe. Oh, my God. Right. I am just a sucker. <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world. I still love candy corn. Hey, there you me too. Go. I love it. Sometimes I like candy corn candy. July. <laughs> and I'm like the healthiest person. I'm like, you know, I'm a pescatarian. 90% of my diet is vegetable. I don't eat any sugar, but that candy corn, when it comes Halloween, I want that candy corn. There we go, guys. We hear it first. <laughs> <laughs> And that's Joe with our absolutely random question of the show. It's a good question. <laughs> it was, oh. yeah, yeah. But yes. Now, uh, speaking, so, if we're going to talk about food, uh, oh. let me ask you if these two movies, have they put you off cake? <laughs> <laughs> I never liked cake. <laughs> Even with the raspberry filling? No, no I, I, ne I never liked cake. Um, it put me off masks. That's for sure. No, I bet. Yeah. No, but yes, and then of course, uh, I know Anthony would like to talk to you about your experience with Battlestar Galactica, mm. the reimagining. Would you Dare like I to let go? my inner geek out for a minute? No. Yes, go for it. I'm happy Before to you. Tell you. Well, I can. I had no idea when we brought you on, Angela. We were talking about. I didn't know that you were involved with Battlestar Galactica. Um, no, I did. I can tell you a little bit. Um, I didn't have cable TV when it first came on 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 TV. Um, I started watching in season three, and I immediately fell in love with it. I went it, I went to Rasputin. I bought the DVDs season one and two. I rewatched those, and then when season four came out, I watched it. And then I'm like, why is there a break here? This feels like this feels strange. There's a break here, and then I watched the rest of it. Um, and then I followed sci-fi as they tried to continue the story, um, in less flatteringly, you know, uh, circumstances. It didn't work out. Um, but I stuck with them all the way to the end. And then I rewatched the whole thing again. <laughs> and then I probably watched it one more time, um, just because um, I grew up watching Star Trek: Next Generation, which was nice. And, flowery everything was clean cut and everyone got along right there was no stress and it's like yeah we've gotten rid of the the want you know the the need for anything um and then you watch Battlestar Galactica and it's holy crap from the first episode there is just so much conflict and it's deep-seated conflict um 
I didn't know you were involved in it. Wow. I just want to shake your hand. Can I shake your hand through this? Because Absolutely. that entire series. Absolutely. Was and I will take massive. full credit for that because <laughs> the story about Galactica, uh, and I'll make it as brief as I can, is that it was one of the titles sitting in our library when Barry, Barry Diller came over to Universal um, that I thought was valuable and nobody else did. And I literally fought tooth and nail with the Sci Fi Network, my friends to agree to make um, a miniseries and see if we could launch a series. And there's a, a backstory about how one of my colleagues took it to Brian Singer and tried to get it done at Fox and they got a lousy script and I was jumping around screaming, going, we own Sci-Fi Channel, this could break out Sci-Fi Channel. Mm -hmm. and, if, and what ended up happening was that I was able to talk the marketing and merchandising people to put enough money against it that I could afford to make a miniseries. And um, I finally got the go ahead. We had Ron Moore, we got Michael Reimer, and um, we got a, a fabulous script and they cast they recast that, if you remember, it was a four-hour pilot. Um, we cast it in my office at Universal. And there was only one argument, I'm not gonna tell you who it was about, um, one argument about whether we were gonna go this way with a cast member or not. But Eddie almost was an offer, and everybody else, uh, Mary was an offer, um, and everybody else sat in my office and read. And it was one of the easiest castings I've ever had because James Callis came in and we knew it was James. And, you know, they, they all, Jamie Bamber came in and we knew it was Jamie Bamber. These were not people with reputations. And um, every single one of them nailed their auditions. And we cast that miniseries in two days. Wow. In, sitting in my office, which was just incredible. incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel executives at that point were not so sure that they knew what to do with this thing. But we at the studio were gung-ho. And um, I think when we were done, they were really surprised that um, it was as compelling as it was. And again, that was a group of people that I'm in touch with most of them. They all love each other. Eddie is the leader of the band. Um, <laughs> they all see each other regularly, that whole cast, and even from the, from the subsequent seasons, uh, Reka Sharma and, you know, all of them, they're all good friends. And there was something about that show that, you know, and I think a lot of it was Eddie, that, um, brought them together in a way that you rarely see in television. And um, I was really proud uh, to have been the one to pull it out of mothballs. And I will take total credit for being the one that pulled it out of mothballs. Well, as I was uh, saying earlier, uh, I, I had some of the props from the, from the original Battlestar Galactica. So nothing makes me happier than to see these things uh, get pulled out because I'm a little older than these other guys. I grew up with the original Star Trek, uh, <laughs> where we're fighting over girls and, and Romulan ale. And, uh, you know, the Viper was always a really cool little fighter to play oh, yeah. with. Uh, I liked it better than the X-Wing, so. Um, <laughs> now, I'm, I, not, I've I'm not a big Lucas fan, so. 
Uh, not that he's anything wrong with him. Just not, I'm more Star Trek than Star Wars. Uh, but I'm, I'm so happy to see that, that we got to see this come back and talk about the Cylons. And you know, my biggest complaint about the whole thing is I wanted more merchandising. So I could do it some. I got some yeah, room on the know. shelf. That was I, my only Yeah, I may have some stuff I can send you. <laughs> there you go. For the that would low be awesome. Cylons, you can own this baby. No, I wanted to share. I, I've sat in uh, panels with Katie Sackhoff. Oh, great. And every, every, yeah, the first question that the, the audience brings up is, you know, talk to us about Battlestar Galactica, right? And she just was absolutely glowing out here. Um, and then I sat in a uh, panel uh, with Bear McCreary. Mm-hmm. I love Bear. I love I Bear. Bear. I love um, Bear so much. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. guy is, he can hold a Bear's mask. Bear's a genius. He's an absolute yeah. genius. I can tell you that the fan reaction, now the, the panel was for Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters. Um, but every, the questions, again, were for Battlestar Galactica. And even after the panel, I mean, he had a massive crowd just following him outside, asking him questions. And whenever they talked about it, you can just tell that this was almost a highlight there. This is where they, they fell in love with their art, you know? And um, I, I guess all credit goes to you, Angela, because you pulled this together. So I owe you a big chunk of my geekdom. <laughs> Thank you. Go. Thank you. I can't take credit for Bear, but I love Bear. I think his music was phenomenal. His, his yeah. music was absolutely phenomenal. Yes. And every uh, season, it, it, got, it became more complex, became more uh, harmonious. Well, uh, Happy Death Day as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love him. And yes. he's the nicest, 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 nicest human being. Oh, he is. He, yes, he, he is. absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people just gravitate to that. Was, I was just awestruck sitting there listening to him break down, you know, what it took to make uh, this song. And it, it was just, you're sitting in, in a room with someone who is just an absolute master of what they're doing. And you're just trying to soak it all in every single syllable. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Angela, because you put this together. Um, you, I think you put together one of the, uh, I'll say, guys, you got to agree, one of the greatest sci-fi Television series, television series. Oh, right? thank you. Yeah. It's up there. Yes, yes I agree, one hundred thousand percent. Absolutely. No. Oh, thank, you. thank you for being so flattering. You know, sometimes you get lucky, um, but it really is. You know, the whole thing is about putting together groups of people and and people that are committed to the same thing and people that care about what they're doing and you know it's it's actually rare and i think i've been lucky that i've i've experienced it a couple of times absolutely i mean would this show have been uh the same if edward james almost wasn't commander adama right no i, mean, I couldn't no, imagine you know any what? other person those actors loved eddie so much i mean they love eddie he is commander adama for them they love eddie they go with eddie yeah. And his performance was fantastic in it, as everyone else in that cast. Yeah. Well, as I said, every single well, person. I, go ahead there. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to walk on you. Well, as, as, as I said, I'm old, so, you know, uh, I watch things like Red, Retired and Extremely Dangerous. And um, I, I love seeing, shall we say, mature heroes being badass. And, uh, he started off in that first episode sort of weary, okay, 
this is the the, the Battlestar people come on and take field trips on, and we can't launch yeah. in tube number three because there's a gift shop in it now. <laughs> and and you know, I'm about to retire, and this is about to be mothballed. And then suddenly, yeah, I can be just as badass as I have to be because I'm freaking Commander Adama. So, yeah. You're bringing that that good memories for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you helped make some great ones for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy. I'm happy about that. And look, the fun part about that show, that cast was incredible, as I said. May I ask, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at your IMDb, and uh, I mean, you have all these producer credits here. So many producer credits. Um, of these other movies that you have up, uh, do you want to talk about one? Or, or, or should I ask, which one, other than the ones we've discussed already, stands out to you? I mean, you have uh, Witch Slayer Gretel. And, oh, uh, the, you know, those were all sci-fi movies, and they were... You know, it's funny because everybody in features stole from them. They were all movies based on, um, you know, sort of fairy tales and and uh, and twists on fairy tales. And I think Red was my favorite one because the premise of it was that um, Red Riding Hood um, became a, a werewolf hunter, and um, and that her family became werewolf hunters, and that the werewolves were uh, still at large, and that was a really fun one to make. But, you know, I, I'm much more interested in what's coming than what I've already done. You know, Ooh, I have nice. a that big, was my uh, uh, sort of sci-fi African futurism project at HBO right now that I'm really, really excited about. I'm hoping that's going to move forward. It's, it's not horror. It's really, you know, African futurism. Um, based on a terrific novel, and um, I'm hoping that one's going to move forward. And I am working on uh, several other features that I can't say too much about, but one that I think you guys will love. And if I get it made, I'm happy to come back on and talk about it. I would Ooh. love to be be here. Yes, but well, you know what? Um, you know, uh, and I, and I'm still trying to get um, Clive Barker Weave World made you know as a television series wow it's a tough one let's go it's big and um and it scares people a little bit but we're working on it true you know if they can do book of blood you know why not do weave world come on yeah we we've weave world is um you know it's a tough one but it, it's it's got more um humanity than a lot of clive's other stuff a lot more character than a lot of Clive's other stuff, and that attracts me, so I'm trying. So where can everyone... Go ahead. So where can everyone find you, Angela? Where can they find me? Yes. I live in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Through social media. (laughs) I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, My, you know, I'm on IMDb. Um, Yeah, know that. I will tell you um, truthfully, and I hope I don't get flooded tomorrow. I do actually um, read um, anything anyone sends me as long as they ask me before they send it, because if it's not something I think is up my alley, I won't read it. And um, I really do try and help um, new and independent filmmakers because I think you know it's really important to support people who are trying to break in 
I am not from a Hollywood family. Um, I got into this business by accident and a lot of people don't have any connections and you know, I'll help out anyone I can and the work has to be good or I'm not, or I'm gonna just tell you I can't do anything with it. But you know, I, I, um, I'm kind of an open book that way. I, I, you know, I do read a lot and um, a lot from, you know, unknown sources and I am happy to help and encourage anybody um, who is a writer or director or whatever actor wanting to get into this business. Um, very generous of you. Very, very generous. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, I do have a, a fun question that I was going to like before we end. I have just an odd question because it's also Halloween month. You are an odd question. Come on. I am. You already I'm used up your odd question quota of the day. Come on. Today <laughs> is going to be odd day, Joe. Um, basically, I was going to ask, you know, growing up, what if you could make a horror film that no one's ever seen? Like, imagine if you could redo, like, Dracula from 1931, would you do it? No. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> that's all I wanted to know. I don't want to remake, you know, I, I don't want to, Galactica was a whole different kettle of fish, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I want to tread new ground and I want to um, hopefully bring things to the screen and to television that people haven't done before. And as a woman, I wanna bring uh, that voice and the voice of women a little bit stronger into all of these genres. And um, yes. I, I, nice. I, I'm not that interested in retreading anything unless there's a really good reason to do it. I read to me that someone, I, and I actually think it's universal, is gonna remake the others and I thought, really? why would no, you do Nicole that? Kidman, why? It was the most perfect movie. Like I agree. I, okay, we should probably give it. Blumhouse is also. I think they're redoing the thing. Yeah, they redo. They redo a lot of stuff, but they tend to spin it. Like Invisible yeah. Man was brilliant. Yeah. Yes. And yes. you know, I did that series at Universal. We did it in a very funny way. Matt Greenberg wrote it, who's you know sort of a horror writer, I guess, and. Um, you know, I was I was reticent to watch it, and I watched it, and they spun such a new story, and I admired it. Right. So I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know diss on that. But for me, I would prefer to find a new voice and a new idea. And I I, yeah. I agree I agree with that one thousand percent. Absolutely. Well, that's our time for tonight. Uh, I want to thank Angela Mancuso very much for coming on our show and uh, talking about everything. And uh, once again, I am bowing to you for Star Galactica. That was an absolute <laughs> <laughs> TV series. Yes, we're a horror podcast, but you know what? Today we're sci-fi. <laughs> well, happy yeah. Halloween, guys. Thank happy you. Happy Halloween. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And please do not flood Angela with all of your scripts. Be nice. And yeah, please. <laughs> 
All I right. don't want to be responsible. <laughs> I, I can just see it now. All the people are going to come after me and go, yeah, like, hey, Tom, how can you get in contact with that lady? I'm, nope. For don't a good time, me, call Joe Flynn at. <laughs> Joe. Okay, you guys be well. Happy Halloween. Happy Bye. Halloween, everybody. Thank you, hey, thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for coming on. You have a great <laughs> night. You too. Bye. Thank you, Angela. Thank you.